Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Cat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to Episode 2, The Doctor and the Slayer. If you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. Uh, tonight we're going to discuss Series 1, Episode 1 of Doctor Who, which is called Rose, and Series 1, Episode 1 of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which is called Welcome to the Hellmouth. Be sure to watch those episodes that we've discussed first um, so that you can follow along with our discussion. And so I'm going to start out with Doctor Who because this is my first introduction to it and I'm going to be greedy. So I want to talk about the Doctor because this is this is just the Doctor. It's Doctor Who. This is what it's all about, right? Sort of in a way, I guess. Um I gotta be honest, the doctor was a little goofier than I was expecting. He he comes in um when we first see him. Well, I guess I guess there's the whole sort of introduction where he we where he grabs Rose and, and tells her to run and all of that. But once you sort of get out of out of the moment of being terrorized and you start actually seeing him, he's he's just sort of bopping around and and getting like, like I'm just thinking about the part where he's going through her apartment and like picking things up and looking in the mirror and you know just like oh it could have been worse or he's like oh nope not gonna do that card trick apparently maybe he knew card tricks in the past or something I don't know but um, yeah Le- leafing through the tabloid magazine <laughs> yeah yeah oh no nope, that's not gonna work <laughs> um, it was fun. It was it was interesting. It but it 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 sort of was not what I expected from from the doctor, which I guess just goes to show you that you can't be expecting anything in particular when it comes to things like that. Um, I guess the one the one sort of question I had. So you you get these suggestions of of what he's like, and and what I was wondering was how much. So knowing that this is the ninth doctor we're talking about, how much of the personality that he displays in um, the sort of goofy character and 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 it seems to be kind of going around and 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 almost oblivious in a lot of ways, but clearly he's smart and has has these tools and and knowledge to um, fight these monsters and stuff. You know, so how much of that is is actual? mythology of the doctor and how much of it is just sort of his personality or is it you know just you just kind of have to have fun and discover which is which along the way um so i don't know i don't know what are your thoughts there cat I'm, I'm i'm sure you have some uh yeah well i think definitely um all the actors that i've seen do tend to play the role it seems to be kind of a mark of the doctor, you know, regardless of his incarnation, um, this kind of duality between goofiness, as you put it, this kind of silly and light and kind of frivolous humor with um, the flashes of darkness or, you know, things higher and deeper um, sort of lurking underneath. Um, and quite, you know, each each doctor will sort of put a different spin on it. But I think that kind of um, dichotomy is definitely part of the character itself. Um, and it'll be kind of interesting to see as we go on because um, it, it's it's funny that what really stuck out to you is is the goofiness, you know, um, <laughs> because 
the ninth doctor is remembered from what I can tell by a lot of people and especially um, comparing to some of the actors who've um, come later um, as one of the more serious doctors. Um, really? Yeah. Uh, so now I think wow. that probably, I think there's a little bit of, um, you know, rewriting of history, a little bit of misremembering, because I think you're absolutely right. He is, um, he is very silly, especially in this first episode, that, you know, big ear to ear grin that he has. Um, <laughs> and yeah, the silliness with the cards, you know, um, the, you know, he does definitely play that up. Um, but, you know, the way he dresses, um, you know, with that kind of close cropped hair, hmm. you know, very plain sort of black jeans, um, you know, kind of earthy, you know, earthy green and brown sweaters under, you know, a beaten leather jacket, um, yeah. you know, compared to some of the other silhouettes of the doctors that you see, this is a very minimalist stripped down, um, kind okay. of doctor. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, definitely we're gonna, but, but I'm, I'm kind of with you. I think like the other actors, he does do both. Um, and it might be easy to remember, you know, the doctor in the beaten leather jacket and forget that he also um, is quite capable of being um, just as over the top as as any of the others. Yeah. Well, and and so I'm I'm trying to think like even just specific scenarios. So so obviously there was the the sort of bobbing around the apartment, and that's. They kind of play that up with with the sort sort of dual uh, obliviousness. He's just kind of going around doing his own thing while Rose is talking about, you know, her problems and 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 what's going on with her. And and they're you know neither one of them's hearing the other. Um, but but even in the situation where like right at the beginning when when you first meet him and they're riding up in the elevator and he's oh he's he's got this plastic arm that he just ripped off this mannequin that's trying to kill Rose and and oh by the way I have a bomb you better run you know it's like it's just like the, the these things that are maybe even a little more serious where he 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 kind of puts on this light lighter mm -hmm. touch to it so that that's really interesting that that you say he's remembered for being more serious I. Uh, well, well, we'll see if we can debunk that. Maybe I don't know. I guess I have I have to watch the rest of the season before I can mm -hmm. get into that. Um, and some and, of and, that, some of that too, um, will have to do with the more we unpack about the immediate backstory, because you know, like we talked about in the introduction, there's a lot of you know, there's the 50 year history of the show or whatever. But in particular, sure, sure. in particular, they're acknowledging the fact that there has been a gap. You know, there was a gap between the seventh doctor in 1989 between the eighth doctor, who was the doctor who was in the infamous TV movie in 1996, who had his one hour of fame. And then we've got another, what, nine years between him and um, the ninth doctor. Now, okay. as you noted, it does seem that he has just regenerated when we meet him. Um, we don't know that for sure, but he does kind of look in the mirror. He's kind of poking at his face, looking at, you know, checking himself out, saying maybe <laughs> it, it could have been worse. So yes. we're presuming that he's regenerated fairly recently, at least um, so recently that he hasn't really taken the time to give himself a good look. 
Yeah. Um, so, and, and he's clearly so, in the middle of, of something going on. So it's not clear. Like, it's not like minutes before he meets right, Rose. Right, exactly. Like it's, it, no, it, there, we're he, talking. He's, he, he's clearly in the middle of this investigation of this monster situation going on. Yeah, he's he's busy. He hasn't, you know, he hasn't. I think you're exactly right. There, I don't believe that he regenerated 10 minutes ago. But it may have been a matter of, you know, a couple days, you know, something fairly recently. Um, and that's interesting because we're going to learn, you know, they, they do give a few hints in the first episode about these references to the war. Mm-hmm. Um, now, yes. that is something that's new to the show when it comes back in 2005. This idea okay. of the war and what he's experienced um, is something that they're adding into the show. So even viewers who are watching Rose, who watched the show for decades, don't know what he means when he says, I was in the war, I couldn't save your world, all those things. That's new mythology to them. So so, so I think part of his, I think, I think he maybe come off, he may come off lighter in the first episode than what we're going to see, because we're going to get a little bit more into what is his immediate history right before the show? What is this war that he's referencing? Yeah. Oh, man. There's so much I want to talk about with all of that. <laughs> so uh, my first question, I guess, and, and, and you know, just from like a, a, a production or timing standpoint or whatever, is is the is is this contemporaneous with with modern time like are we expected like is when the doctor appears in this 2005 series is it 2005 yes. you know in the show so and and is that stay pretty consistent throughout yeah like, more like, or less yeah like in the 1960s it was the 1960s when the doctor yes. was there yep. so okay. yep and yeah then, yeah there is a sense of what is the present even though there's a lot of time hopping a lot of forward and back Sure. You, you always, you always know um, what's home base. The companions say. are the companion from the, is the contemporary time. I think I think not always in the his in the okay. history of the show. They he may have had companions who were from the future. He may I think he had a companion from the Scottish Highlands in you know the the thirteen hundreds or something. Um, so I it's mean, not. Who wouldn't want a companion from the Scottish Highlands? In the <laughs> That's the first place I I'd certainly go. know I would, but. I... So, um, but, but I think the general rule of thumb is that they tend to be modern English people. Um, okay. and certainly in the new show, almost exclusively, um, that okay. is what they are. Um, so, and so you always have a sense of if we're going forward or back, we're never getting confused about what is home. Home is always the, the earth in England, in the present, whatever is the year of, that the episode is coming out. Okay. Um, and so, yeah. I, so what you were saying about like this, this whole history of the war and, and, and maybe it's too early to sort of get into that mythology, but I just, I love like, so when he first goes in to confront the, the nesting consciousness, and I have to admit, I didn't quite understand what they were saying there at first the the name of the monster i I kept thinking they were saying nesting like you know it was some (laughs) pregnant monster that was you know going through the motions of creating a nest for whatever but but then i i looked it up and i realized i was way way off on that one but um yeah i just i love that when when you go in there and you see these um 
or, or you hear the doctor kind of give these hints and, and clues about uh, all of this this war and the and the backstory, and you kind of get these these almost ritualistic language of you know I seek audience with the nesting consciousness under peaceful contract mm-hmm. according to convention fifteen of the shadow proclamation. I was like, whoa, <laughs> like there's some <laughs> there's some serious like that's a that's some serious diplomacy going on right there. I mean, right. this is like you've got to and and then and then he even like more minor than that he asked you know permission to approach which again it seemed to imply to me that there's you're clearly dealing with something very old very set very um mythological i guess mm-hmm. would would be the best way to put that and just kind of um well give, and that, give those hints and that there are rules that there's mm-hmm. an etiquette to how you you know that I think diplomacy is a good word. He's trying to not piss this monster off, you know? He's he's playing, you know, he has a sense of what's the proper way to go about, you know, addressing an alien invader, you know? Um, he makes a point of not, you know, Rose says, throw that vial in and let's get out of here. And he says, <laughs> well, no, wait a minute. I have to give it a chance. I'm not here to kill it. I'm going to give it a chance, you know. Um, Yes. And and he, you know, very cautiously and very politely tries to reason and negotiate his way out, Um, which I think is, you know, so part of it is that old ritualism. um, But then I think part of it is just simple politeness um, and kind of trying to, you know, um, respect you know, even the monster. Mm. Yeah. And it's interesting. So, and, and I don't know if you, well, so I, I kind of still want to talk about the doctor a little bit, but I mean the, the whole like, concept of like the monsters and stuff too. I mean, I think you were saying um, even before we kind of started uh, going into the podcast here, you, you were talking about the monsters and, and sort of the idea of the monsters of the week and, and that sort of thing. Um, so is is it is this I, I think I know already but is this something that we've seen before or or that people who have watched the show have seen before this this consciousness that he's confronting is this a a recurring monster like can you kind of give me some context around how big of a part this particular monster plays into it or is it just kind of like nope this is just something that is here to Mm-hmm. get Rose and the Doctor together so that they can go on other adventures. <laughs> yeah, a, a little bit of both. Um, this isn't one of um, the... I, I don't think there's a, a ton of mythological weight associated with this particular, with the nesting consciousness and the autons. Okay. Um, this isn't the big bad. Let's put it that way. Um, yeah. But it is a recurring um, that, you know, they chose... Rather than um, start with something new, they did choose something that was um, uh, from the older show. So, the the nesting consciousness and the autons, which are what which are the proper name for those you know m- mannequins, the shop window dummies, um, mm-hmm. first appeared in 1970 in uh, in an episode called "The Spearhead from Space." Um, so I think probably I would imagine that they were chose as the kind of poster like you know the you cannot get more ordinary than when you know shop dummies that attack you in the mall Mm -hmm. um so i you know 
I would imagine that, you know, they're sitting around thinking, how are we going to bring back the show and get across that idea? And, you know, of all the monsters they had, some of which are quite alien, I think these were probably chosen because they really exemplify that sort of um, absolutely ordinariness. And, and it's not that, I mean, it's not, I don't think it's saying that shop window dummies are terrifying. It's that although they are it's it's <laughs> these more, ones are these Holy ones are cow. quite terrifying and gave a lot of kids nightmares but it's <laughs> it's the idea of the alien which uses that which is mundane so yes. you know it's you know it's not so much the silliness of dummies it's more that if if aliens could control plastic and yes. how much plastic do we have in our daily lives and that kind of using what we have around us against us. Well, um, and, and, and that, and, and also sort of, it seemed to me, not just using what's around us, because, I mean, you know, you could use trees or rocks or whatever, but it's the things around us that we've created. It's using our mm -hmm. own sort of right, creations exactly. against us. And, and uh, you know, they list off the all the possible things, the toasters and the breast right. implants and whatever. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, that would suck. So well, and 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 he has that line about uh, the, they love your planet, all the toxins in the air, and yes. like this is just and, and it's you. We've created the perfect environment for them to take over. Yes, and 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 considering I watched it the day before Earth Day, I suppose I would have <laughs> picked up even more on that particular aspect of it. But uh, the um, okay, so 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 the monster itself isn't. It is important, but it's not like I noticed you use the term "the big bad." That's actually a Buffy term. I don't know if you know that. <laughs> Buffy's the the show that 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 made that particular phrase. Uh, quite, really, uh, I I did not realize that. Yes, See, and, it and, gets into the language, and you don't even realize it. It does. the The Buffy speak proliferates. That's like the dude abides. You know, the Buffy right, speak yeah, prol yeah. proliferates. Um, anyway, so the right, that, that quotability. <laughs> The the other thing that I want to talk about the doctor, and I know we want to talk about Rose too, so I don't want to spend a whole lot more time necessarily on the doctor because I'm sure we'll be talking about him plenty um, as time goes on. But the other thing that I wanted to sort of bring out that's maybe a little more serious or, or a little more seemed a little more intriguing to me is just the whole lack of empathy and and the sort of the focused oblivion, if that makes sense, the the way that that he has, and and so like he, there's a couple of of one off, you know. Of course, he forgets about Mickey several times, and I, I'm actually kind of okay with that. Rose seems to be more concerned about Mickey than anyone anyone should be. If Mickey but, doesn't come off too well, too well in this episode, does he? No, but uh, the uh, well. There's also right at the beginning there where, you know, Rose is like, you know, have you seen Wilson, the the guy that she supposedly was giving this lottery money to? And he's like, oh, Wilson, he's dead. You know, who's Wilson? I, like, you know, just kind of this. It, that seemed interesting to me based on later when he's there with the Nestian consciousness. He's he's talking about the human race as if they're children and, and mm -hmm. as if they're, you know, but, but he's also talking about them as, as, as us, <laughs> I get, I keep saying them. I mean, it's us he's talking about, right. It, as if there's, you know, some great potential there, but mm -hmm. yet he totally ignores mm -hmm. all of these people who he's saving and, and kind of this, 
lack of empathy and 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 the observation or, or, or lack of observation about the actual people he's confronted with or or, or the actual physical like he he's it's almost like he's defending the idea of humanity without defending individual humans sure. and 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 I don't know it well and maybe this is a good segue except for Rose he's the only one who I recall at least in the episode I watched it twice who he actually stops and says hey what's your name mm-hmm. you know uh and and he's the only and and I don't know like it, it, it on the one hand it seems almost disjointed because he does that but then again, he does it so early in the episode that you you don't really notice yet until later that it's like, well, hmm, he doesn't really seem to care about anyone else. But why does he single her out? Is it situational? Mm-hmm. Is there something about her? He seems to imply that she was just in the way. Like when she's like, why were these things after me? He's like, what? It's all about you? No, it's all actually it's all <laughs> it's about, all about me. me. <laughs> and, 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 and he seems to imply that she was just – not only was she in the wrong place, but she was actively in the way of of you know him trying to stop these autons that that are you know trying to get her presumably, but you know again it's really about him. They were trying to get him perhaps, <laughs> and she just happened to be there. So it it it's kind of weird because I I guess I'm not quite sure how that like is there something about her? Are we dealing with sort of a fate or destiny thing, or is it? her really reaching out and, and recognizing something is going on here deeper where apparently nobody else is doing this recognition sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, certainly her mom doesn't seem to be. Um, and, and Mickey's also kind of just in his own world. And, and the implication is that humans in general are, but that, so I, I guess going into Rose, you know, is it, it, are we looking at something where, you know, she's sort of personifying this ideal of humanity that the doctor's defending? Or is it just something more random and more uh, yeah. incidental, I guess? Yeah, no, I mean, and again, I, I think I'd go with a both rather than an either or answer. Um I think there's definitely, um, so I, I, in terms of her personifying sort of humanity at large, I think she is definitely deliberately meant to be sort of the every person. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, is the girl next door, you know, nothing particularly extraordinary about her. Um, on the other hand, I think if there is anything that is extraordinary, and maybe what it is that he picks up on that, he, you know, what it what is it that he notices about her that makes him ask her name and um, let her contribute rather than, you know, completely disregard her like he seems to disregard everybody else <laughs> is yeah. more what is more what she brings to it. So I don't think he's interested in her because he has any sense of her being special or faded in any way. I think it's more when she has a suggestion about it might be students or or the fact that, you know, once after the plastic arm terrorizes, completely rips apart the house, she follows him and mm-hmm. kind of, she's kind of walking like just one step behind him. You know, he's kind of hightailing it out of there 
and she's right on his heels and kind of asking all those questions. And so, you know, so I think there's something about, I don't think it's that she's special in the sense of, um, or at least in this episode, I won't say that we won't get any hints of fate or destiny, but certainly I think from where it's starting right now, um, I think it's more something that's innate to her than it is to, you know, him having a sense that she is um, extraordinary in some way. Interesting. Um, but but definitely, I think there's a reason that she gets um, attention that Mickey, you know, Mickey pointedly gets uninvited. He's not allowed. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that's not because I don't think that's because the doctor believes that she is any sort of, you know, any, anything special in the sense of, of being, um, important to the world or, or, or especially gifted or magical. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's more to do with her attitude and the fact that she seems to be um, on the same page as him, that she can keep up with him, and that she's, I mean, clearly she's, she's braver and smarter than Mickey, um, and he is, that makes him take notice. And, and, and more interested in what's going on around yeah. her. Because, and, and so I'm, so sort of, um, and I don't remember if you had this or not, um, sort of a contrast between the doctor or, or a comparison really between the doctor and Mickey is that they're both sort of oblivious, but in totally yeah. different ways, Yeah, you know, and, and it's, it's this, you know, Mickey after the explosion at the, um, store where, where Rose works, you know, she's sort of sitting on the couch just trying to absorb it all. And Mickey comes in and, you know, initially does sort of the good boyfriend thing. And it's like, are you okay? And whatever. And very quickly Let's go to the pub. Re realizes he doesn't really want to be there supporting her, yeah. you know, and he, he wants and, to go watch the, the football game rather than. Yeah. Which is almost over anyway. Yeah. But, um, you know, the, the, the idea being that, that I think just that, that comparison, you know, you, you can have this, Again, the doctor has the, the focused oblivion. I like that term. I'm going to keep using that, I think. Because, you know, he, he's he's oblivious of what's around him, but he clearly has some kind of other purpose, whereas mm -hmm. Mickey doesn't has no seem purpose. to. Yeah, he, he just seems to exist and, and, and exemplified by that great line at the end when Rose finally decides to leave where he's he's like thank you for for what and she goes exactly <laughs> you know and that kiss on the cheek like see you later kid it's been real I'm off to yeah. I'm off to go make something of myself um exactly well yeah I mean definitely yeah he's the doctor it's you know maybe I forgot some kid named Mickey but it's only because I'm trying to save every stupid ape on this planet is kind of what he says. <laughs> yes. Like, I can't be bothered. I am busy right now. Don't interrupt me. Who cares if I get his name wrong? You know, um, mm -hmm. I'm only going to pay attention. You, like, there is that sense of, unless you're helping me, get out of the way. Yes. Um, but he is well, interested and, and he when was... he finds someone who can help him. That, but... that perks him up a little bit. 
And it's and it's even interesting because when he does first meet Rose, he he tells her to to forget him, right? Right. What is that? Is that when he first meets her? Or is that? Yeah, when he gives that um, that talk about I can feel the turn of the earth. Um, that kind of that's who yes. I am. Right, um, right. Now forget me, Rose Tyler. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So, but of course she doesn't, and then and and right. she becomes more interested. And that's when she seeks out Clyde. Right, right. And we wanted to talk about that scene um, because I think that is really interesting and, you know, definitely a scene designed for the reinvigoration of the show. You know, because, you know, there is a self-awareness there of what is the history of the show and the myth of the Doctor and everything. Um, so, and I love that the guy's website is named Doctor Who, so we get mm -hmm. the title of the show right there in the pilot, and that the whole question is, that's, that's the question of the show, mm. you know, is, who is this guy? Um, and I love the little reference to the fact that the wife is surprised that she's a she, that it's only, it's only men that read websites about Doctor Who, it's never women. Which was the stereotype, much like Trekkies, that was always the stereotype of, of the Who <laughs> fan, at least prior to the show coming back. So a little wink at the, at the gender-biased audience. <laughs> um, but I like the little nods in there about things that you'll get if you know the show, and if you don't, you'll understand eventually. Like the fact that Clive kind of thinks that that the, the fact that he looks differently is because it's a title that's passed rather than realizing it's all the same guy. He says it's title passed right. from father to son, whereas, you know, we know that it's the same person. He just appears differently over mm -hmm. time. Um, and that and the other really great one is that he clearly says he has one constant companion, death. Now, mm -hmm. companion is a very loaded term in this show because that's what we call... The people that travel with the doctor are always called, it, they used to be called assistants in the early days, but it was decided that that term was a little um, sexist. Majority. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, it, it, you know, around the time of, you know, the feminist movement, it started to become known as the companion. Um, so, you know, when we hear that he has, of all the companions, so he's had how many companions over the years, only one of them is constant, and that's death. Um, and I think that's a really interesting kind of note to start for, for Rose. Now, Rose isn't thinking of, her, of herself as a companion, but, um, but that's interesting to kind of have this guy tell her um, there are no constant companions except for death. Yeah. And, and he also tells her that, that the doctor has chosen her, <laughs> right. which, you, you know, in combination with the fact right. that he brings death, it's, it's like he, he singled you out. It's a, and, it's oh, a, by it's the a way. clear warning. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the, the whole sort of info dump that you get from Clive and, and I like, I like his character. I like that. There's sort of this, uh, blooming awareness of the doctor, even though, you know, most of the people around seem to be oblivious to his existence um, besides his companions or, or those who happen to have these incidental run-ins with him. Um, I, I like that. I was, I was a little surprised 
And I guess, so we don't actually see Clive die at the mm-hmm. end. So I don't know what to make of that. I, 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 I'm guessing it's one of those, maybe he'll pop up again later, whatever. I mean, we see his wife and, and son sort of running away, and they're just kind of leaving him there with no grief for daddy. Right. But poor guy. Uh, uh. I mean, he, 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 struck, he didn't strike, strike me as quite, a, um, quite like Mickey. I mean, he seemed a little more sympathetic than right. Mickey <laughs> anyway. But, um, yeah, I'm... So you get these pictures and and you get this this info dump from him and and like I so what's going through my mind and and you I, you know don't give any spoilers if there are any to give here but you know I'm thinking like foreshadowing here like that we're gonna see the doctor at these events that he's showing us pictures of because they mm-hmm. happened in the past and we know that the TARDIS mm-hmm. can can go you know into the past or whatever but. But then that brings up the question, too, at least at this point, of we don't know how long ago the Doctor regenerated. So so maybe this is stuff that's already mm-hmm. happened in the Doctor's timeline. Mm-hmm. Clearly they've already happened in, in the Earth timeline, but, but yeah, we don't yeah, know at you. what point. Yeah. So anyway, I like it, it was really interesting to me because I'm like trying to pick out clues and I, I'm not sure I was very successful as to trying to guess what's yet to come. Well, and that's, that's, yeah, I mean, that's part of, you know, obviously we don't, they're not going to just up and tell us that. Um, No, no, of course not. uh, What was interesting to me this time, um, what I was kind of thinking about when, you know, so the photos he shows are of the Titanic and the JFK assassination. Mm -hmm. And um, what what interested me and I don't have any particular conclusions to this other than maybe just something to keep in the back of your mind as we go forward and start to do some time travel stories and paradox stories um, and to what extent you can change things Um, that, you know, he clearly is there, you know, they're there with the Titanic and Clive says that he saved this family from getting on the Titanic now, the next photo he shows is of him at the JFK assassination. Now, we know he didn't save JFK. Right. So what kind of interested me was, hmm, you know, here we have a photo of him saving a family from a famous disaster. And we have him in the photo with someone who was famously not saved from a disaster. So um, I don't think... We need to spend too much mental energy trying to figure out any particular thing about those events. What I'm suggesting is that we start to think about um, when, to what extent can he save people? You know, what to what extent can he change time? Um, you know, if why was he at the JFK assassination? Was he trying to save JFK? Was he just there? Um, you know, was he was he watching or did he try to do something and, and not succeed? So um, I think it's kind of interesting that those are the two events that they chose and that they contrasted his uh, his rescue of one family and non-rescue of somebody else. Well, and and, and just sort of building even on that, the, the rescue of a somewhat innocuous family to, to history anyway, right. you, you know, 
yeah, who right. so who are these people that he saved and and what importance did they have? You know, versus clearly right. JFK being right. <laughs> the president and and a rather popular president at that and and all of the the sort of implications around that. Um, and again, was it because he was powerless, or was it did he allow it to happen, or did he possibly even have a hand in it happening? Right. Like yeah. They, right. You know. It, it, so yeah, there's there's all sorts of things, and and of course, obviously, again, brings up it hints at the idea that maybe there's even other events throughout history, momentous and and not momentous events. Um, that that he had this either this hand in or that he he willfully withheld his hand from mm-hmm. um yeah interesting but poor clive poor i don't clive. know what i don't know what happens well i will I, wanna... I will um put you out of your misery and in, in wondering the fate of poor clive and tell you that he will not show up again he has served oh. his he has served his purpose really as um, as ex, ex, Mr. Exposition, and okay. um, and we hmm. will not be meeting Clive again. That's kind of disappointing. <laughs> I I suspect when I saw his wife and son running away with without him and not yeah seeming to like grieve over his loss at all. Um, no, well, and that's interesting. <laughs> I hadn't really thought of that, but he does to kind of slightly just jump ahead to Buffy for a second. He almost seems like he could be the the Giles of the series. He could be Yeah. He could be the the like the learned librarian geek who Rose runs to when she has mythological questions. Um but uh so it does seem like it could go there, that direction, but no. Um no. no. We we don't have um you know, we don't really have any sort of Giles like figure in the show um in that way there's no learned authority that rose can sort of appeal to other than the doctor yeah. who, who she's already been warned against so clearly he's learned um but just as clearly um he is dangerous and and unpredictable mm-hmm. yeah well hmm, interesting so i i would not have predicted that i would have i would have predicted maybe if if he wasn't a regular, that he would have at least showed up maybe once or twice here or there to give more of his famous exposition. But right, wow, interesting. Okay, the um, I, I think we've got a couple minutes here still. Just if there's a couple things to wrap up and and mm-hmm. um, with this first episode, I mean, clearly we already sort of talked about the goofiness, but the the other the sort of the humor in the episode was really great. I mean, the the so you get this um sort of the tension and, and release you get the the musical cues like when when rose is going down to investigate the cat trap when she hears the noise and mm-hmm. and it's like you know what's this gonna be here <laughs> you know is this it's, it's sort of this repetition of when she's in the basement but then it you know lifted up and there's the doctor what's he doing here or or you get the the um <laughs> the mother you know trying to come on to him and and just another display of his oblivion he's like no nothing Nothing's no. gonna happen no. here. Um, yeah. The, the 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 pun with armless, the 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 sort of Cockney pronunciation of harmless into uh-huh. harmless, while he's you know talking about the uh, severed arm in his yeah. plastic yeah. arm. That's just that was bad. 
that was just bad. I, I enjoyed it. Um. <laughs> well, and we talked about earlier too, my, my favorite line in the episode, which is her, if, if you're an alien, how come you sound like you're from the North? Lots of planets have a North. <laughs> yes, yes. Which, so, which we talked about is really just a reference to the actor's accent and the, the, the surprisingness of the accent and that the doctor generally isn't played with a regional accent. He's generally played with, a, you know, RP, sort of, you know, uh, proper BBC English. Um, uh, so it's really just a, a little ironic nod to the fact that, yeah, he's just going to keep his accent and you should all just get over it. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, the, the, again, sort of the, the whole ritual, uh, kind of the, the, the ritual aspect of, of his talking to this nesting consciousness. And, and it, it, it took me, I found that funny because it took me by surprise it, that he, you know, all along he's coming to face this, this uh, thing, this monster that, that has come down to destroy the earth. And he comes in and he's, suddenly becomes all very proper and diplomatic and you know it's just like wait whoa that unexpected officiousness was just not well, well not, not expected blowing up the the department store and causing all this chaos but then yeah. we get we, we finally get to the bad guy and well, i don't want to kill him and, like and you, how dare you suggest such a thing i just want to talk to him yeah Knowing full well that he has the capability in his pocket. To right, him. right. Although he um, says he wasn't going to use it. Well, you know, do do we believe we, him? I guess. I, is yeah, the I don't question. know. I don't know. So that 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 was great. I, I do have to say there was one one bit. I, I so yes, uh, total camp factor in mm -hmm. this in this episode, like we talked about in in our uh, introduction last week. But the. Uh, the other, the, the, there's really only one aspect that, that really kind of bugged me was um, at the end, the doctor's, mm -hmm. you know, being restrained by these two autons and, and he can't get out and he kind of looks pleadingly up to Rose to, almost, you know, to help him and, and, and she's kind of not cowering quite as much as Mickey is cowering, but um, she decides I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm going to save him. And, and then you get this sort of like monologue explanation of, of how she is. Uh, she, I, I forget. Was she a gymnast or something? And, right. and, and yeah, she yeah. gets, she, she, right. she has a bronze medal and what I could have done without that. And I think yeah. for, for me that what you were saying earlier about Rose being this sort of every person and and that that sort of took it out of that um, away from that idea for me that is suddenly oh and by the way I was this gymnast and I got well I don't I kind of don't see like, why being a gymnast means you're good at swinging on chains <laughs> yeah and, and what does she do silly... she knocks over a mannequin with it like right. I mean it, you know it's not like it's not like she's you know twirling about and, and exactly no I know, think it was stuff. kind of a clumsy probably just a clumsy attempt to give her that kind of hero monologue, you mm -hmm. know? Um, yeah. Well, and, and that's sort of how I took it. I think I, you know, I don't want to dwell on it because I think, I think of the episode, I mean, I, I, I did enjoy it and, and that's a pretty minor piece. Um, overall, I, 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 I liked it. I, I, I think I shall watch another. Oh, good. That, um, whew, that's and I know there's probably good for the funny, podcast. 
plenty more that we could talk. <laughs> yeah, this would be a really short. This is a really short podcast. podcast if you decided. No, nah, I don't think I want to do anymore. <laughs> um, but I, I think we must now move on to Buffy. And yeah. I know you have some thoughts about where to begin. Uh, I do, um, because um, as I was typing up my notes for Buffy, I was kind of thinking of her. Um, not to dwell on Doctor Who, but to kind of use it as a jumping off point. You know, we were talking about Rose as sort of someone who is the every person who is stuck in the mundane um, and not looking for an escape. She doesn't come looking for it. It kind of comes crashing into her life, but is excited by it and seizes the opportunity and it, by the end of the episode forsakes the mundane for the life of adventure. And yes. um, while there are parallels there, I think in some ways we look, we can look at Buffy as almost the exact opposite. Um, that rather than being, um, not that she can't be a relatable person, but, but she's clearly not a simple ordinary person. She's marked as the chosen one. Um, and she's someone who has had in the past experience of a life of danger and adventure and, um, seems to thrive in it, although is clearly ready to put that behind her and is trying to start over um, and is trying to live a normal life. And when the magical and the dangerous becomes, um, comes crashing into her life, it's against her will that she's drawn back into it. It's in spite of herself. Right, um, right. And she kind of, you know, she seems to wish that she almost had Rose's kind of difficulties of Rose says I have no A levels, no job, no prospects. I think Buffy wishes that her biggest problem were, you know, a job and her grades <laughs> and her and her stupid boyfriend. Um, her real problems are much, uh, much more dire than that. So I think that's kind of an interesting, um, an interesting contrast and actually a really interesting parallel to start the series with. Um, so I guess my question, um, and, uh, you know, again, don't confirm or deny anything that you don't feel comfortable uh, revealing. revealing. <laughs> but um, if she's chosen, um, you know, I mean, we know that she's, she has these abilities. I mean, she mm -hmm. has she has the gymnastic. She's not just swinging on a chain. She has the gymnastic ability. She's strong and fast and can fight. So she's capable. It's not it's not just an abstract thing. But um but I assume that those things come along with her being a slayer. Um that she's somehow given those abilities because of her designation as a slayer. So I guess what I would be trying to kind of think about for the future is why was she chosen? You know, is, is this a, is this a random thing? Ooh. Is there, is there something about her which was special, which, which caused her to be chosen? Right. Or is this like, uh, like Harry Potter who was, who was special because the, the, the big bad or the dark Lord happened to choose him. Yeah. Um, right. Right. Well, so, um, without revealing anything, I think over the course of the next seven seasons, we shall be able to answer that question. 
Oh, very nice. Or we might not be able. So that's a so I that's the right kind of question to be asking. <laughs> that is that is a great question to be asking. So a couple a couple things. So just that that you sort of picked up on, uh, but just wanted to make sure to mention them explicitly. There, there's really at this point because. I think one of the things that that I that I will say is that the the I don't know that um, the idea of the Slayer certainly there there is an idea there and like you said she she already is a Slayer and 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 I mean not even just sort of in the mythology but but Joss Whedon as we know already had gone and written you know a whole movie right. script and everything to sort of work this out but the idea of the Slayer over the course of of the entire series does evolve. A bit, or at least, if not evolve, quite um, is refined over the, the idea of the series. So some of that, um, I'm not even sure when they were making this first pilot episode that, that they, they even even had knew. all of that worked out. Yeah. But but there's two particular things. One is that there's one per generation. And, right. Right. And, yeah. And so she she is definitely a loner in that sense. It, she is the Slayer. It's not a Slayer. It's the Slayer, and it's. Um, like you hinted at that, that yes, she, she's the one who has the strength and the skill. It's, it's because that she is a slayer that she's sort of imbued and you get, the, you get this sort of idea of, of her strength and skill. Um, you know, she pulls open the locked door and, and not just opens it, but like, you know, yanks the, yanks it so hard that like chips of wood come flying off and whatever. Um, she has that sort of moment where it, you know, this, proto river tam style gymnastics right, where yeah. she's hovering above um while angel walks underneath her um and and also um giles's whole conversation where he's like you should be able to sense vampires just you know while they're in the room and whatever and and you're there's in the episode you're not quite sure like is that is that because of some special like spidey slash slayer sense or uh-huh. is it is it you know that she should just be so alert and aware all the time and and so it, you know it's not clear yet is that you know a slayer thing or and is that it's, just it's it's not even it wasn't even clear to me that she could do it right well yeah so then <laughs> of course the humor of that particular scene is that she picks out the vampire but she picks him out because he's wearing outdated clothing right and and you know totally the 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 well his fashion's off so he's right. clearly the vampire and and yes that's that's great so you're right it you don't know much but you do know that there's one of them there's only one slayer at a time and that um they are imbued with with a special strength and skill and and um she even sort of hints at that when she tells xander and willow that that you know they need to stay she's the one who needs to seek out um the vampires uh Sorry, did I just jump ahead? Anyway. (laughs) Or maybe she says that at some point. I can't remember exactly where she says that. All right, I'm going to move on because I think um, one of the things that I wanted to to mention too – well, there's there's a couple things. You said a lot there, so I'm trying to go back and and pick out the pieces. The the destiny and and calling versus the sort of the the normal – teenage mundane desires whatever like uh, you totally you nailed it the um when she's talking with giles and and she she says something like uh you know this is my first day i was afraid i was gonna be behind in all my classes that i wouldn't make any friends that i would have last month's hair like totally Mm -hmm. yeah totally she is just looking at 
her life as this whole Slayer thing is like, I don't want it. I want to reject it. I want to throw it away and just not even have anything to do with it. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's, I mean, that's, that's huge. That's, she just, unlike Rose, like you were saying, she is not, it doesn't just happen sort of upon her. It, it is, it is her destiny. It is, it is something that is, um, it happens upon her in the way, in, in the sense that she doesn't want it, clearly. But mm-hmm. it's it's not something like, oh, this other stuff was going on and she was curious and now she's sort of involved. It's, mm-hmm. it's no, she's involved because things of are coming. she is, yeah. yeah th- things are coming at her because she's the Slayer. And, and, and you know, the, the, there's the hint there that, um, you know, even, even things that, are just these sort of mundane things like the fact that her mother moved her to Sunnydale. And, she, <laughs> you know, Giles says, you know, why do you think you moved here? And she said, I moved here because this is where my mom moved me. <laughs> you know, it's not like she's still thinking of it in this mundane world, not as a calling, but as, as you know, no, I just happened to be here. And now there's these vampires here. And he's, you know, Giles is trying to show her that, no, there's actually, there's a reason why these things are happening. And, and, and there's, there's there's something beyond just what's you know what you want and and what's going on here it's it, it's really something deeper and both metaphorically and and literally there's literally something underneath the town and underneath the school and it's it's this whole cadre of vampires and 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 there's the master and and his minions and the mm. harvest and 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 I don't want to get into too much of that because unfortunately this uh the, these first couple of episodes are two parters, so <laughs> you, you you kind of have have to leave some of that to talk about later. But yeah. um, you do sort of get this idea that that there's definitely this this deeper level of knowledge, the the, the things that the normal everyday people aren't aware of. Kind of again, drawing a, a, a comparison to Doctor Who. I mean, you know, clearly there's things going on that the people of London and, and England in general just aren't aren't aware of. Oblivious like, to, like, yeah. Like nesting consciousnesses and, and you know, in Sunnydale, they're, they're vampires down in caverns below the mausoleums and, and whatnot. Right, right. The, because every little California town has a mausoleum. Yeah. Of course. Well, um, and the kind of... Um, the the image that really struck that home for me was when she goes to the library to get a textbook and is <laughs> just chatting away with the new librarian and 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 asking for her and he just I know what you're looking for and he just whoomp thumps this <laughs> dusty old tome like you know yes. like he just pulled it you know it's like straight out of you know dracula or something and vampire on the on the cover and just and just her look of like oh not this again and just the contrast of again talking about that contrast of the magical and the mundane the kind of weighty horror that's you know and she's asking for a history textbook and this is what she hands her so you know, which is kind of what it is, right? This is the history of I'm assuming, oh, you know, yeah. this is this is the this is what she should be studying. Um, at least he believes. So right. yeah, that kind of when she thinks she's asking for one thing and, and reality, her reality just slams her with <laughs> um 
with something else. Yeah, yeah, she's totally unexpected, or, or, or it's totally unexpected to her. But um, yeah, and, and Giles' reaction is like, "Oh, really? Are you sure you don't want you this book? Like, this? Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure this is the book for you." <laughs> <laughs> and 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 it's. Um, Again, drawing, I brought it all the way from the British Museum. So yeah, again, drawing uh, allusions to, to to Doctor Who, it's it's that that same sort of oblivion. He's like, no, but really, you, you're the one who's writing vampires. Why would you not want this book? And and he has no idea about what she really wants. And and that becomes so so sort of combining this idea of of there's something deep below the surface of the town, and again, metaphorically and and physically below the town. And and that you you know you have this sort of authority figure who's kind of oblivious, and and you have Buffy who's who's inducted into the world of the vampires, but doesn't want to be there. She kind of wants to ignore it, and and then you've got just sort of all the normal people who are out there, the the, the Xanders and the Willows and the Cordelias, who who right. just don't have any clue that any of this is going on, or or even um, the other authority figures, Buffy's mom and the principal, who who. Have even less clues. <laughs> they, yeah, they're they're almost willfully ignorant. It's not even like they're oblivious to it, but it's like they they just they're in their adult world, and they're um, you know Buffy's mom. She moved her because Buffy had some problems in her old school. Doesn't ask what the cause of the problems were, <laughs> or you know why Buffy might have actually burnt down the gymnasium in her old school. Like that might be important information, the why of it, but. Um, change of so, scenery that's what you need yeah yeah change of scenery a new school it has more structure but not too much structure you know it's it, it's just this kind of whole idea um, of this this sort of layered levels of knowledge and, and, and so you get get this idea that you know there's there's different things happening on on these different sort of planes um, and then you throw Angel into the mix and you're like, well, what the heck is going on here? Because he's clearly inducted into this whole mythology of of the undertow that's going on. But he also sort of seems to be separate from it. Mm-hmm. He, 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 he's this um, sort of a... a, a, a enzyme or something i don't know what to Mm -hmm. to call it exactly but but he comes in and and gives this little bit of information to buffy that that giles doesn't know you know the the learned man here who's supposed to be guiding her and preparing her for her fight with the vampires he's totally has no clue about this harvest and 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 the different things that that angel brings up um right right that angel seems to be street smart to giles's book smart yeah, but but he has both almost mm-hmm. because Buffy's the street smart one clearly too because she's got you know this experience she's actually fought vampires and she's actually faced them but she she knows nothing about the history or the mythology or what you know beyond beyond the practical uh, you know what is it what is it she says about. Um, you know, stake through the heart, a little sunlight. It's like falling off a log, you know. That, to her, is the extent of her knowledge of vampires. I, There's a vampire, right. I'm a slayer, I kill the vampire. But that's only if, like, I happen to run across one. I'm not going to hunt them out. I'm not going to think about where they come from or, or why they're here or what they're doing or anything. Well, and clearly anybody else that tries to do this is not going to have the same result 
Right. Right. <laughs> right. And you're, yeah, she's the one to do it. Um, like to her, it's falling off a log because she has that ability. Right. Exactly. So I think from a um, sort of this, the, again, kind of thinking about these levels of knowledge and, and, and awareness, you, you have these different things going on. But then you have, I, I guess, um, in a way, you could almost compare Xander to Rose as well, because he's the one who it just kind of falls in his lap. You know, he's the, the, the incidental eavesdropper who hears all this stuff about Slayer and, and what the heck is going on. Um, and so, so you start to see that, that, that some of these lines are bleeding, um, Mm -hmm. between these different levels of knowledge. And, and, and again, don't want to get too far down that road because I think we'll see like how, how those levels change. And, and it, it does become important sort of who knows what and, and who's aware of what, um, from, from the story perspective, but I want to pick up and, and maybe shoot it back to you real quick for something that, that you totally picked up on, which is, which is absolutely right around the whole, um, metaphor of the school and the hell mouth and, and all of that. So, so why don't, why don't you tell me what you saw there and, and let's talk about that. Well, so what was sort of jumping out to me, um, was the way that all of these sort of magical things, um, serve as pretty, um, pretty hilarious and pretty disturbing metaphors for <laughs> high school. Yeah. Um, well, to start with the hilarious, you know, the fact that I think you said they don't actually call it this in the episode quite yet, but we have in the title the term Hellmouth. And yeah. so, and the school seems to be sitting on top of it. So we've got a clear association between high school and hell um, that they seem to be right one and the same or, or rubbing right up against each other. Um, yeah. And which I think is pretty funny, um, less funny is, um, the feeling I got uh, with all of the, the vampire scenes, in particular the opening, um, with Darla, and then, um, the, the final scene with Willow at the end, um, the kind of uh, sexual assault, sexual predators aspect of it. Um, so, you know, so some a, a couple quick points and then we can talk about that more in detail the subverted expectations of the first scene the fact that the whole first scene seems to be all your instincts are telling are telling you to scream at this pretty meek blonde girl to run um don't go into the dark empty school with this guy any young woman knows that this is the worst thing you can possibly do and then of course, she turns around and is the predator. Mm-hmm. So there's that. Um, I, I'm going to forget his name. Not Xander, but the other boy. Jesse. Jesse. At the yep. end, when he kind of gets snubbed, um, he he <laughs> says, I'm on the prowl. Um, yes. And then yes. again. This is me prowling. This yes. is me prowling. And then again, the but subverted. It's, it's... Again, he's a victim rather than anything else. But just that idea that. That yes. the kids go to the bronze to be on the prowl. That that's the purpose of going to the club, is to hunt for, you know, a partner, a, a partner or prey <laughs> or, or yes. it's a mate. It's a little confused, a little dangerous. 
Yeah. Um, and then again, bringing it back to Willow and how disturbing it was when she is being let off, you know, I mean, there's the disturbing because we know that this is a vampire. So we're hoping that Buffy can catch up and rescue her. But I think just disturbing, even if you took the vampire, say that was just a scene in a normal, you know, realistic movie, that scene would still be creepy. Mm -hmm. um, of him leading her off into goodness knows where. And because she is naive and doesn't know any better, he's going to take advantage of her. Right. He happens to take advantage of her um, as a vampire, but he could just take advantage of her as, you know, as a guy takes advantage of a naive girl. So, yeah. um, so I think some of those metaphors, I can kind of see already in the first episode, kind of where we're headed in terms of some of the themes that Joss is wanting to work in um, and why it why it is that he set this in a school and set it with this age group. Um, I think it's actually a pretty useful metaphor for the kind of dangers that, that people experience around that age. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's so uh, so much in what you just said. <laughs> so there's there's the Hellmouth. Absolutely. Um, I, I think we, we get the reference from Angel about the mouth of hell, but, I, but you're right. It, in this episode, I don't think the word hellmouth is actually ever used other than in the title of the episode. Um, but yeah, high school, hell, the two are the two. And I think that goes back to even just to go back to the idea of the, of the different concepts of knowledge and stuff and, and, and why I sort of see the, the Joyce, Buffy's mother, and the principal um, having an even sort of like deeper level of oblivion because they are, you know, the parents who just don't understand to use a random Will Smith reference. Um, <laughs> you know, they are the parents who, who just, you know, she moved Buffy to a new school and whatever, but all the things that Joyce is concerned about aren't the things that Buffy's concerned about, right? right. Joyce is, is concerned about getting good grades and, and, and sort of, fitting into their community and and she mentions the gallery that that she's getting and and hoping to become productive members of the community and stuff buffy's you know worried about is she going to be a cool kid or is she going to be hanging out with the geeks is she going to have you know again the right hair the how many friends is she going to have and that sort of thing and and mm -hmm. so like there there is this you know again this sort of oblivion metaphorically speaking going here between what the adults and what the parents are concerned about. And you have the principal, oh, we're we're not worried here about your past, he says, as he rips up her report of, of what happened in the previous school. And then he kind of realizes, even as he's saying that the past doesn't matter so much, that no, in fact, the past actually does kind of matter. <laughs> he's taping it back together and, and that kind of stuff. And, and you get this whole... Uh, ironic sort of tone out of out of all of this that the things that parents and and and, and the principal and 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 these adults are giving lip service to just don't matter to the kids there are so many other things going on in this school that 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 are horrifying to, well and, you, and you, as you were talking about buffy's concerns the word that was coming to my mind was survival mm -hmm. so yeah. Not, not just of the vampires, but of cliques and of, you know. Right. 
that she's <laughs> not of, she's of not Cordelia. Worried. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, you know that uh. Buffy's concerned with surviving high school, mm-hmm. not necessarily thriving in it, but getting through it. Yeah, it's it's not about getting good grades. It's not about um, coming out with you know usable knowledge. It's about just getting past those four years. Well, three. She's you know um, already she, had one year of high school. Is she in tenth grade? Is that what we're? Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, is it a little so, confused or? No, I'm I, I'm pretty sure it's there in tenth grade. I, I was just trying to think at how many seasons i may have to come back to you on that because i i don't actually remember if they refer to what grade they're in in this episode mm-hmm. um but i i'm pretty i mean obviously she's had at least one year because okay. she she moved from a different high school uh-huh. um but I, moving on so so metaphorically moving on and actually moving on to a different metaphor there is a um you know, again, what you said about the the whole subverted genders and, and the sexual assault and all of that, uh, you know, I think is exactly what, what Whedon's going for. He um, he even mentions in, in, in the commentary uh, right in that first scene with Darla, you know, he's like, yeah, you know, you're walking in, you're, you're in a dark hallway, empty building, and, and you totally expect – you, mm-hmm. you you don't even expect. You know what's going yeah. to happen. Yeah. I mean, you know every every horror movie, every situation like this. Right. You've seen that one scene thing before. Happens. Yes. It. And then, of course, it doesn't. Darla's the one who ends up being this. Well, of course, you don't know her name's Darla at that point, but um, she's the one who ends up being the the, the actual predator here. Um, but I wanted to, to to key off of that because then we get to the bronze and 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 the mixing hormonal. Not sure are we predator or prey or a little of both or what's going on there. And and you get the vampire who takes um, who, who who takes Willow out. But then you also get with Jesse saying, you know, I'm on the prowl. This is me prowling. And who does he go up to? Is Darla. Darla. <laughs> who, again, you know, so you get this whole, you know, again, this, right. it's like reversal upon reversal upon reversal right. of roles here where, you know, and, and by this point, of course, you, you know that Darla is at right. you. Know, right. So she has that slow reveal and you go, oh, no. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> you, you know that she's the one who's going to be um, uh, preying on, on him, even though, again, he's, he's sort of the... The, he, he's got that you know sort of he's trying to be a schmuck but he's not like really the schmuck so like he's yeah. he, he, you know he, he's attempting to be the smooth guy who just is not very smooth and and just doesn't um yeah yeah anyway so so i think and 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 there there will absolutely be more of that kind of stuff but i think you hit hit the the high points of of where the setup is the 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 high school is hell and 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 there is this um it not necessarily will it won't always necessarily be sexual but there is this total idea of a predator and prey and 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 who is preying on whom um right well and that's true i mean obviously even within this episode we get other types of predatory or you know ganging up behavior. I mean, you've got the way Cordelia treats someone like Willow. Oh, 
Yeah. Um, well, and, and again, the, 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 the role subversion, even in that, you know, when we first meet Cordelia, she's very helpful. She's, right. she's, she's letting Buffy borrow her book and tells her where the library is and is going to show her around school mm-hmm. and then suddenly turns into this total bitch. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's no other word for it. Um, right. And she's completely predatory in the, in her, and you know, in her behavior towards yeah. Willow. Yeah. Um, so there's more than one kind of, um, you know, attacking sort of behavior going mm-hmm. on. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, so clearly these are, these are going to be recurring themes. Um, let's see. So actually just since you brought up Cordelia, I, <laughs> interesting, um, just sort of production note, uh, Sarah Michelle Geller actually auditioned for Cordelia's role mm-hmm. um, originally. And then um, Charisma Carpenter, who plays Cordelia, originally came in to audition for Buffy's role. Charisma um, Carpenter. It sounds like a character from the show. <laughs> oh, with the name? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and so, uh, you know, talk about role reversals. Uh, I, From what I understand, Charisma Carpenter was actually late to the audition, and so she audition for Cordelia instead of Buffy, they really liked her rendition of Cordelia. So they asked Sarah Michelle Geller to come back and re-audition for Buffy. <laughs> and, and, and so it's just, it's kind of funny to think about how, um, you know, all of that sort of interaction happens. Right. And, what and, what and, might have been. And... Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the other thing I wanted to actually point out to you being a Seinfeld fan that yes. I know you are the master, the guy who plays the master uh-huh. Also played the maestro <laughs> in Seinfeld. <laughs> it's this random little which came first trivia bit. Uh, the maestro, I'm pretty the sure, maestro came did first okay. because eh, when did Seinfeld end? It almost had to have been like I think there would have only been a couple years of overlap. Uh, if, yeah, ninety eight something like that. Yeah, so there would only have been a year or two of overlap. Okay, yeah, but I, I, I'm pretty sure the maestro came first. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's just again a random tidbit. That's there, funny. So. Um, I'm assuming that didn't have anything to do with his, with the naming of the character I, or anything. I would suspect not. I'm pretty sure Joss Whedon already had the, the script pretty well. Yeah. Or, or the story and, and most of the characters at least pretty well. Right. It's a pretty standard um, villain sort of name, isn't it? The master. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and, and so, and you referred to the big bad earlier. This is definitely the introduction of, of the big bad the okay. master. Um, you know, clearly you get these references to the master and the harvest and, and, and stuff like that, where, um, I, you know, it, it, again, being a two part episode is kind of maybe not quite clear at this point where all that's going to go, but, uh, you do, do kind of get that introduction there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then one other casting note, uh, apparently Joss didn't like David Boreanaz as, uh, angel, but, um, he was overruled by all the women in the room. So uh, there's that one reference there where Buffy calls him gorgeous <laughs> and maddening and, and all of that. So yeah. uh, anyway. Um, That's funny. The, the I, other, I, I, would, I would assume since he had quite a successful and indeed a spinoff career that Joss uh, <laughs> changed his mind eventually. Oh, yeah. He, he totally, I, I believe it's in, 
it, it's either in some interview that I that I read or, or watched, or or in the actual commentary on the episode where where he said, "Yeah, of course I was wrong about that." Yeah. Um, and and so, just going down the list here too, then um, Xander is actually the the Whedon character. Supposedly, you know, and I've heard the, that because I've read that in relation to Wash. Um, uh, yes. And the, yeah. the similarity and how they all wear loose-fitting right. Hawaiian shirts, and they this kind of a similar. <laughs> Uh, yeah, they all kind of are yeah. one in the same. <laughs> those yep. three. Yeah. Um. So so anyway, so just and, and Willow is is I. I'm not really sure on the casting history. I'm not sure if there was any real, um, big qualms there with with Allison Hannigan. But mm-hmm. um, anyway. So going back to sort of the one other thing that I wanted to to talk about was the idea of the fresh start that that you brought up kind of right in the beginning of of uh, introducing the episode here and 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 this is you know again the, the word fresh I have here in my notes in quotation marks because um, you know how fresh is it? it obviously we get the hints of what happened previously you get sort of the dreams at the very beginning of the episode. Um, well, not the very beginning. It's it's after after the whole Darla scene, but but you get Buffy's dreams of of kind of the the fights with the vampires and and the references to her previous setting and all of that. Um, but yeah, when you first see Buffy, she's in this room of packed boxes. You know, the right, idea yeah, yeah. that they they just moved there. Um, she she's at this new school, and and again, the principal's lip service to a, a new start. Not quite being very new um and then also this whole idea that that sort of we talked about with cordelia and and buffy's desire there you know to to be the popular one to be the one who's accepted and and you know what high school student doesn't want to sort of be popular and and liked and and all of that versus being the outcast and and i love i love when willow says oh she's not hanging out with us you know yeah. trying you know willow, trying to so, help her so so sweet she she knows what's what she knows her place so to speak in in this school hierarchy and and is trying not to ruin it for this new uh potential friend but um well and um that buffy actually tries to do both you know she 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 knows who to go to for help so she goes to cordelia for things you know of where to go after school who to hang out with you know Mm -hmm. those kinds of questions and then goes to willow for help with her math homework Mm -hmm. and um and it's Willow, you know, and Buffy's trying to actually do both. That she mm-hmm. wants to be both popular and successful. And right. it's Willow who says, you can't do both. You have to make a choice. Yes. Um, you know, she legally, she said, you can't do both. It's not, it's not allowed. <laughs> legally so by the, it's not the code even like, of teenagehood. Yeah, it's yeah. not like you're not capable of doing both. It's that you won't be allowed. You know, it's against the rules. Right, exactly. So, and, and and so this this again becomes um, almost an, another mirror of the teenage desire versus the um, calling, the destiny. The you know, so that again, going back to the idea that there is only one Slayer. It's it's not just that you know 
she's an outcast socially, but she's also this outcast because because she had you know it's it, it's the, almost the 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 superhero insularness of being that you know of having that power of not really having someone that she can turn to and 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 there you know there's some metaphors in there that that happen too because um she is the only one who can really fight against these things and and even even there's that that great line um by i believe i believe it's luke the vampire although the names of the vampires don't really end up being all that important in the long run. Although we get another, it's kind of like they, they kind of toss away the, the names, you know, Luke and Thomas and Darla and, you know, like these different mm-hmm. vampires in, in this first season. But I, after a while they just like, it, you don't even know their names <laughs> because there's just so many of them and yeah. they get, um, they get dusted so quickly. Oh, dusting. I wanted, I wanted to mention that too, but, but, but back here, the, 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 where he says, you know, you're strong, but I'm stronger. So, so you do get this idea that you know Buffy certainly isn't invincible, but, but even so, she is really the only one who can stand up because I mean the others are just they get thrown around by these vampires right. and 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 aren't um, you know don't really have the capabilities to to stand up to them and it's. You know, again, not to dwell on the metaphorness of it, but, it, you know, it becomes, you, you know, there are those people who, who just seem to have what it takes to make it through. And, and you always wonder, and, and you never sort of know, <laughs> going through high school and all of that, who, who is it? Who's really the ones who are going to succeed, you know, kind of when this is all said and done? And, and so it, there's there's some playing on, on different levels there with, with all of those sort of interweaved metaphors. Right. Well, and, you know, I mean, we're only in episode one, you know, and we're getting ready for seven <laughs> seasons. So I expect that we're going to see um, some influence on uh, from Buffy on the others, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. in terms of developing their ability to, you know, stand up for themselves, you know, at least to a certain extent. Right, right. So, um I did want to so the the whole dusting thing interesting so you know you kind of start getting into some of the mythology of the vampires um, again she 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 mentions at one point uh, stake through the heart a little sunlight um, to to kill them sort of sort of in an offhanded way but but you get that you know which isn't really anything new to anyone who knows any vampire mythology you, you kind of get the idea. Um, that well, so and she talks about there. There's the concern that Giles has that the that the dead boy found in in the locker room will come back to life, and mm-hmm. and so you get the little bit of mythology there of um, the, the second that, thing. that 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 it requires right. It requires dual participation. It's it's actually it's it's an it's an interesting concept because you know there is definitely the predatory aspect to it but the predatory aspect is is the killing there there's right. actually another right that does that's not enough to turn you into one of them right yeah yeah like you said it's the whole big sucking thing mostly they're just going to kill you but but there's to actually become a vampire requires participation from mm-hmm. both parties and and that's 
I don't know. There's there's an interesting sort of horror there too. That's mm-hmm. you, you know that fascination with wanting to become a vampire. You have to want it. Well, and, that's and, what's interesting about them as sort of you know monsters, and obviously that's you mm-hmm. know that's not an idea that's original to Joss. That's something that right. that idea has been present in other versions of vampire mythology, and that's what makes it more than just um, a creature that can kill you. What mm-hmm. makes them sort of evil um, is that idea of um, of willingly turning yourself into one of them and sell and forsaking your immortal soul to preserve your mortal body, yeah. you know, um, yeah, and then and... and then turning that on other people, right? Um, and right. that's what turns them into more than just the dead kid in the locker, but into becoming. A monster like one of them yeah yeah and to- totally that it's that is a choice and and um well I'll, <laughs> I'll i'll say that next week um anyway so yes yeah, so 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 you get a little bit of the vampires you get get a little bit very little about the hellmouth at least it's not very much named but um Giles makes that reference to the, you know, the everything you've ever dreaded that was under your bed, but told yourself couldn't be by the light of day. And, and that there's something attracting all of these creatures there. And, and so it's, it does go beyond just vampires. So there are other things. So it's not like, like, obviously it's Buffy the Vampire Slayer, but you get this sense that Mm -hmm. there's this history of the Slayer. There's, there's something beyond. And, and, and the reference to the master and, and quote, the old ones, you know, mm-hmm. you kind of have this, um, again, this sense that there's something going way back um, where you had the metaphorical <laughs> levels and, and the physical levels of depth. You also have this time depth going back into the the history of all of this mythology that's going on. So, again, all sort of just tantalizing you for what's yet to come and, and not really explaining anything or at least not explaining anything real um, in depth, but but giving these hints of of all this other stuff. Um, well, and that's an interesting um, uh, similarity, similar similarity and contrast again between Buffy and Doctor Who is that I think both of them um, want to give you the sense that all the stories you've ever heard are in a, mm-hmm. in a sense true, but there's a difference there because whereas I think what I think. Buffy's saying is that all magic is real. So all these horror and fairy stories um, that you've ever heard, you know, the magic in it that you didn't believe is really out there um, in in one form or another. Whereas, again, even though there are elements of fantasy, as we'll see in Doctor Who, the the twist it puts on that is all magic is science, is, you know, things that seem, you know, to be whether it's you know vampires ghosts werewolves whatever there's really they're all aliens there's some sort of scientific <laughs> rational explanation for that but 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 both of them want to take um sort of the collective if we can use a tolkienian term the collective soup um of of fairy <laughs> tale and yeah. myth the the mythological yeah. soup and use that and sort of pick and choose and pull freely from it. So, you know, so we're not just going to get vampires. We're going to get, you know, everything else that sort of comes with that tradition. 
Um, right. And we're going to get that probably in both shows. Yes. Yeah. No, I think that's exactly right. Um, I, you know, I, I, I want to talk so much more about this, but, but I feel I'm getting to that point where I'm going to start revealing what's coming up next. So I will have to restrain myself and <laughs> um, not say anything more. Is, is there anything we didn't cover here with Buffy? I think we may have a couple more minutes, um, but uh, um, and anything else you wanted to cover? Well, let me just take a look. Um, well, just to, I wasn't sure if we would have time for this because I know we're going to talk about this a lot. But since we do have time, um, I will just register my enjoyment of the Whedon brand of humor. Um, <laughs> what, definitely one of the things he's famous yes. for and with good reason. So, um, you know, I said before... You know, I, I'm having fun with all the names in the show. Um, Buffy, Summers, Sunnydale, Willow, Flutie, Xander. You know, these are Buffy is not the only one with a silly name in this show. And 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 lest you start to make fun of it for that, it beats you to the punch because, uh, you know, one of the snooty girls says, "What kind of a name is Buffy?" And then her mm -hmm. friend goes. Hey, aphrodisiac. And she goes, Hey, and it's like, <laughs> she's got the most ridiculous name of all. So, yes. so he's not only is he going to, you, not only is he going to have fun, but he's going to make fun of his own jokes. Um, mm -hmm. so there's that self-referential ironic sort of playfulness, which I, I really enjoy. Um, you know, and just, you know, some others that, you know, we talked about the whole big sucking thing. Um, <laughs> her, her whole line about, you know, what was her philosophy? You know, live life to the fullest because you might be dead. It's not original, but it's true. <laughs> seize the moment um, because seize the moment. you might be dead. You might yes. be dead. Yeah, yeah you're, you're expecting this whole sort of yeah. Latinate uh, and again, uh, just as you're, saying. And just as you're about to mock it for, <laughs> you know, the kind of you know, blah factor of that philosophy. Um, she does it. She beats you to it um, right. and, and mocks it for you. Um, and, you know, and again, I had some problems with the math. What what was your problem? The math. Um, so just, <laughs> you know, the kind of, that's the kind of dialogue that you remember. Yes. Um, and definitely a very, a strength with Whedon, I think. Oh yeah, absolutely. And and there's no doubt that um so the the language, that sort of pattern of 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 humorous language is actually come to be known as Buffy speak. Right. Uh, because Whedon excelled in it. And not that it hadn't ever sort of done before, but it certainly um has creeped into and and sort of proliferated throughout uh other um other shows and 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 really come to uh, uh, become almost a, a staple of pop culture, especially in television. I think um, we will have plenty of opportunities to see more of that. And I'm so delighted because it is awesome. Um, but anyway, I think, uh, I think we probably need to sign off lest we go too long and people stop listening to us. Yeah. And uh, thank you. To those of you who are listening, we enjoyed the conversation. We hope you enjoyed it too, and let us know what you think. Take care, and 
Talk to you next week. See you next time. Thank <laughs> you.